There is a tremendous amount of upheaval in the auto industry these days, and Volvo is seeing its fair share of it. A year ago, the Ford Motor Company announced it was putting Volvo up for sale, and now two companies are bidding for it. Geely from China and a consortium of investors that include a former board member from Ford and one of the company's former executives. So what's the future of Volvo look like? Not just from an ownership standpoint, but also from a product one? Well, to get a better understanding of where the company is headed, I invited Doug Speck, the president and CEO of Volvo North America, to join us on AutoLine Detroit. And joining me on my journalist panel are Michelle Krebs from Edmunds.com and David Welch from Business Week. Stay right where you are, because we'll be back talking about where Volvo is going in the future. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this episode of AutoLine Detroit, where our guest today is Doug Speck, the president and CEO of Volvo North America. Great to have you on AutoLine Detroit. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. Also joining us today, Michelle Krebs from Edmunds, Edmunds.com. I guess I could add in the .com because mm-hmm. that's where everyone goes to read it. And David Welch from Business Week. Great having you both of you here, too. Thanks, Jeff. Thank Good to be here. Well, Doug, let's talk about what's going on at Volvo. Let's talk about the big Volvo right now because there's a very interesting bidding war, it looks like, between possibly Xili from China and this new consortium of investors called the Crown Consortium, something I'd never heard of before that are, that are bidding on this. Uh, can you tell us uh, what the heck is going on? Who's going to end up with the company? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think it's going yeah, to go? Yeah. Somebody asked me what I knew about the Crown Consortium earlier, and I said probably the same three articles that you read, Yeah, actually. Well, you used to uh, uh, be in Ford. Do you ever deal with Michael Dingman or Sham no, no, Rushwin before who no were part previous, of this consortium? No previous experience with either of those gentlemen. So that's kind of out of the blue. I mean, that's... The nature of these things, I was also saying earlier, if you think about the whole Opal experience in Europe, right, they go through these two buyers and all of a sudden, for a moment, Shanghai Auto Group enters the picture and quickly departs the picture. So I don't think it's surprising that more and more there are rumors about this or that as perhaps we get closer to a solution. You just like it over, right? I mean, or does it Amen. upset your operations that much with that this uncertainty? Is yeah, there? there's a few points. I mean, it's something that's existed now publicly for about a year. I mean, it was almost a year ago that we went out and Ford said that they were going to sell Volvo. Uh, so after a certain period of time, you kind of get used to it. Uh, but without question, you know, you'd like to have it resolved. You'd like to have some finality about where you're headed in terms of strategy. Um, so, yeah, we, we'd love to have it end. But in the meantime, you know, I, my team and I, we wake up in the morning. Uh, we know for a fact that we aren't actually going to get called up and say, hey, what do you think about this entity or that entity? Uh, we've got to worry about taking the resources we have, the people we've got. We've got to work with our dealers and make the best of our business and make it succeed. And, and that's what our focus is. If they did call you with that question, what, what would you say? Would you have a preference on whether it's an operational acquirer like Geely, you know, a strategic partner versus you know, these guys, the, the crown group? It's almost like private equity. It's just guys with money who want to buy it. You guys have been in this industry for a long time. You know, the things that allow a business to succeed are fairly predictable, right? You've got to have a great product program. Uh, you've got to have a great brand. You've got to have great people in your business. You've got to have a strong dealer network. And I, I'd suggest the entity that can help maximize those variables is going to be the best owner for Volvo, frankly. Um, now, guessing which is which from there, I, I couldn't even begin to hazard a guess, frankly. I don't know enough about it, honestly. 
How do you do planning then? What do you tell dealers and how to, how to plan their business and how do you plan your business? That's a good question. I mean, we actually have a, a very defined product program. It's written down. It's in stone. We know when we're going to get an electrified vehicle. We know what segments we're going to go into, when we're going to refresh cars, uh, what year, et cetera. So that's, that's information that we have available to us and it's still moving forward. Uh, we know what you know, industry predictions are going to be, segment dynamics look like, all the things that you use to predict 2010 and beyond, you know, that information still exists whether you're up for sale or not, frankly. So to me, the planning side of our business goes on as it always has. Um, the unknown is if somebody buys us, how will that affect our current strategy? And, and that's something we can't do anything about again. So you, you kind of have in the back of your head, but you can't really do anything about it, so you don't worry about it as much as possible. I imagine another uncertainty is the way the dollar keeps sinking about against every currency in the yes. world. That, that's yeah. got to keep you awake. How do you plan for that? How, how, what kind of contingency plans can you put in place with a dollar that's weak and looks like it's going to stay weak for some time? Well, it depends on who you listen to, doesn't it? I mean, assume for the moment that inflation were to rear its ugly head and the Fed were to say, oh, we're going to tighten the money supply and start to raise interest rates. And, you know, the next day the dollars could start getting stronger again. I think the reality is that nobody knows. I mean, a year ago, if you would have said, hey, the dollar is going to go from 625 sec to the dollar to 825 sec to the dollar in six months, everybody would have thought you're crazy. And, and sec, then, just for anybody watching who doesn't know, uh, is sorry, uh, Swedish, Swedish currency, currency which right. is a lot of yeah. our cost base, right? Uh, and then it goes back from 825 down to like 680 over the course of the last three months. Uh, I think you have to have a long view. You have to say, strategically, America is important. You have to say, uh, over time, if you look at what the average currency right, rate versus a SEC is, it's somewhere in the 7.5 to 8 range. And you plan your business around a long-term view. Uh, and you realize sometimes you're going to make a lot of money because currency is working in your favor. And other times you're not. But once you're in, you've got to be there. And you've got to be there in a strong way. And, and that's the way we try to approach it with our business planning. That's the way we try to approach it with our network in terms of what we think the business should look like in the future. Because, again, if you try to manage it on a quarterly basis, it'll drive you crazy. But yeah. Regardless of who owns it, Volvo's, I mean, the challenge I've, I see you guys kind of always having is you sell expensive cars, but you don't get the pricing of, say, Mercedes or BMW, but you have these currency issues, you have fairly expensive labor. So you always have kind of, you know, you're, you're among the higher cost companies, uh, but you don't really get the pricing of those who, you know, and, and even BMW and Mercedes are profit challenged these days given yeah. exchange rates. So, you know, and how do, but they do higher volume. So, so how does Volvo manage that? You don't have the volume or the pricing that those guys have, but you do have a lot of the similar costs. Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, up until the last couple of years, actually, Volvo was a fairly profitable entity for quite some time. Uh, you know, our brand is different than BMW and Mercedes and Lexus. Uh, we, you know, we have an image that is based upon confidence, trust, obviously safety. Uh, we're adding to that image as we go forward with our product plan. We, we talk a lot about right now the example that XC60, which is the newest product that we've brought to the market as of March this year, uh, means as it relates to our ability to draw a purchase price from the marketplace. If you go look at an XC60 by comparison to, a, let's say, an Audi Q5 or a Mercedes GLK, and you look at what a consumer is willing to pay for a great Volvo product that provides you all the core things that we're used to, but in addition to that, a dynamic drive, styling, craftsmanship, uh, the customer says, yes, you know what, Volvo is worth that much if they give me essentially the value uh, commensurate with what they're asking for in terms of price. So I think it is possible for us to draw more from the marketplace by making sure that everything's right. The world's so competitive, right? You can't just be good at safety. 
you have to be good at safety and you've got to provide the design and the style that gives you passion, the craftsmanship and the technology. We're not going to be BMW, Mercedes or Lexus, but we can be a luxury brand being terrifically good at maximizing Volvo. And there's a business there, frankly. And, that, and that's why there are people out there right now saying to Ford, we're interested in buying Volvo because they see that potential. I wanted to ask you about the brand. You've always been the safety brand, but now everybody's yes. on that bandwagon. Where do you go from there? The other thing I, I see as a challenge is luxury has come down, Mark. I mean, you can find all kinds of vehicles that have a lot of luxury appointments and technology. So where does Volvo fit? Well, let's take that one at a time, safety. Uh, without question, that's our hallmark. That's what we're known for, not just in America, but globally. It's, a, it's an important attribute to own. If you look at the foundational elements for why people buy an automobile, safety's on that list quite high. And we intend to retain the ownership of safety as the leaders in the business. Even with XC60, as an example, you see us continuing to push the edge of the envelope with this development uh, called City Safety, whereby now as you are driving your automobile, we'll actually read the behavior of the driver, read the behavior of the cars around you, and assist the driver if, if there's a collision about to take place that the driver hasn't prepared to react to. So we're investing quite a bit to maintain a leadership position. We've shifted the investment, per se, a little bit. Historically, we've been about passive safety, you know, the safety cage, airbags, et cetera. So if you're in an accident, you don't get hurt as bad or at all. And now technology allows you to be more active and to go more towards precluding the collision completely. Uh, we have a vision, actually, that, that uh, we're talking to people about. By 2020, we'd like to build an automobile that no one dies in, a Volvo. And, and we actually think that's technologically uh, something we could deliver. And we're working quite hard on that. And so continuing to invest to be the leader because that's our base is the answer to your question. We will do that. Now, but second, follow-up question. What was well, uh, luxury is moving down. Yeah. So all those. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting question for, I think, all the luxury brands, isn't it? I mean, how far down can you move before you're no longer luxury, yeah. before you're just you know, part of the mass? Um, I'm not sure I have the answer to that, honestly. I'm not sure anybody really does. Uh, you could argue that it would probably worry more the people that luxury is moving down on top to, on top of. Yeah, right, it varies by brand, too, right? I mean, BMW can make a one series without watering down the brand, but maybe Mercedes maybe, has had yeah. a really tough time reaching down. I don't know. I, mean, I think they executed it right. I mean, BMW is more, you know, they've got a sporty enough image where if the car drives really well, I think they can pull it off. Mercedes has tried to do it, and it's been... It's been Flip a problem that around. Time. I mean, BMW historically has struggled to go up and sell 7 Series, right? Right. While Mercedes all day long sells an S-Class and everybody says it's worth it. That's so I mean, each I mean, of them have their own problem, right? Yeah. I mean, Mercedes is higher up because of that. Yeah. So going down lower is a, a bigger challenge. BMW's uh, top point is a little lower than Mercedes. I so think they can reach right. down. It's easier for BMW to go from a 1 to a 3 than it is almost for Mercedes to go from a, from well, a C2 E to 30. a C, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, for us, you know, honestly, we're a business that can compete in that arena uh, comfortably with our brand would be my supposition. Uh, and it, it's more than just the U.S. we, we can't forget. Mm -hmm. I mean, Europe's a big player in this whole luxury game, particularly for the Europeans, of course. And, you know, a lot of the European brands have been in that segment for a long time, and they're still known as the luxury brands in Europe, right? I mean, they've been selling entry-level products much longer there than they have here. And it hasn't hurt their imagery versus, let's say, a Renault or, or something like that. So... I don't think we're worried so much about whether or not it's going to hurt the luxury brand as much as we are. Can we make money in that space? To the point that you raised earlier um, with the cost base you have in Europe.
Where do you grow? I mean, you, know, you guys have tried to step out a little bit and get more sporty with, with the coops, and you know, you haven't done a lot of volume. I don't think it's been a great success. But you know, where if you want to broaden out, start ringing the register. I mean, everyone worries about cost. How, how do you grow this business? Big, where can you go without walking away too far from your core? Biggest segment in America in the luxury business is this segment where those cars we just talked about plays, three series, C class. Uh, we've phased out S60 as of right now. Essentially, we're out of them. Uh, a year from now, we'll introduce an all-new S60, uh, and it should become the volume car in our brand. And today, we're selling none. So there's a huge opportunity for us in that segment with a terrific new product that we'll bring out in 12 months. So as an example there, ultimately in America for us, uh, we'll continue to sell the estate, but the segment's declining, so it won't be the base volume for your car line. XC range is going to always be a big player for us, the crossover utility business. We've been very successful. XC90, XC60, I think it's easy for the consumer to accept us in that segment. Ultimately, we've got to, got to grow our S range, S60, S80, perhaps a car beneath an S60 at some point. And if we can play very well, small, medium, large, S and XC, ultimately, there's a good business there in America. And hopefully that, that answers your questions. That's our vision for where we're headed. Where do you see hybrids and electric? cars coming in. You mentioned it. And let's throw diesels in just yeah, to complete the absolutely. conversation. You know, there's basically three ways to approach powertrain, right? I mean, you've got typical petrol gasoline engines, you've got diesel engines, and you've got electrification. Uh, the reality, I think, is you have to have all three, right? Because you aren't real sure which way, let's say, gas prices versus diesel prices are going to go. You aren't real sure where the legislative bodies might take this thing between gas or CO2. And so you've got to be able to manage each of those three different variables. We actually have our plan uh, will allow us the flexibility to offer all three of those in the marketplace uh, in, into the next decade. And, and then the market will kind of dictate what the mix of each of the three options will be, as, at least my view, because, as, as again, you guys are very close to this industry, predicting exactly what the hybrid mix is going to be five years from now or even the diesel mix three years from now, I don't think anybody could do that. Because there's these unknowns out there. I mean, one day the legislative body could decide that CO2 is more important than CAFE and completely change the mix between diesel and, uh, and, and hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you can't afford not to have all three of those available to you, which, which we will. Uh, you know, we were in uh, Frankfurt uh, a couple of weeks ago, introduced a PHEV vehicle that we'll have available in Europe in 2012. Uh, so we will have hybrid products, they, and they will come to America. I'm not going to, before you ask, I'm not going to announce when today. Uh, my uh, my CEO actually has that on his list of things to do, so I probably won't supplant him. But we do have a plan for all three of those derivatives. Do I have a gut feel as to which is going to take dominance, you know, plug-in, uh, plain hybrid, or diesel? I'm talking think, about this market. Now, yeah, I think, uh, you know, right now uh, diesel hasn't been much of a player, and there's more interest in hybrid. Uh, the economics of it, though, will be the determinant, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is that it costs a lot more to build a hybrid than it does a diesel in terms of the up cost. Uh, if there are incentives to create a financial capability for individuals to be able to afford hybrid, likely it'll become the predominant volume. If not, I think then diesel could have more potential uh, in, in terms of raw volume. Because, again, it's, it's a significantly different cost to build a hybrid than a diesel. Um, so a lot of it is, again, where the government elects to go with whatever behavior they want to reward. If they do nothing, 
diesel will likely become a bigger component of the market. That's my opinion, at least. And speaking of government involvement, did you guys get any action out of cash for clunkers? Did it affect uh, the Volvo brand much? We'd, uh, we sold 700 cars. <laughs> That's not a whole lot. No, I mean... It, Better than not selling them. But. Uh, it, it, what were they? Uh, small cars, actually. S40, V50, and C30. Uh, we had a very, very good S40, V50, and C30 month in August. And it was predominantly the byproduct of cash for clunkers. Luxury brands... Uh, weren't Didn't play a big player in this thing. And if you look at the eligibility, that's true world. elsewhere in the world, the world where they've yeah. had these kinds of incentives. So, what's your sense of the American market now? We're in the post-clunker world. Where are we going? Do you, do you well, September wasn't easy. It was a pretty difficult month. I think the industry came in at about seven hundred twenty-five thousand units. What about Volvo, units. though? You guys, uh, you were down a little bit. Uh, up well, sixteen percent. Oh, up. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We've actually had a nice run comparatively. I mean, we're down 22% year-on-year by comparison uh, through September, uh, which in any other year would be horrendous. But the industry is down 26.5%. Uh, the other luxury makes, on average, are down 27% year-to-date. Uh, so we're gaining some share versus the industry and the other luxury marks. We've actually grown our business year-on-year, June, July, August, and September. So we've had more sales year-on-year for the last four months. Our current plan is we'll extend that string through the end of the year. So by the end of the year, you should expect us to have strung together seven months in a row of growth. And given that we all are pretty clear that the first quarter of this year was a pretty low base, we'll be able to extend that into next year and, and start to go back up again. And as I tell my team, it's a heck of a lot more fun going up, going up than it is going down. So knock on wood, if you know, we get this slow recovery people are talking about, we'll have seen the bottom really of our business in the first quarter. And since then, we've been starting to move back up. And XC60 was a big part of that, of course. Gives us a new a new car in a, in a mainstream segment. So yeah, beautiful car. I think you're going to get a lot of action out of it. Just I'm basing that on my own test drive of the vehicle. I was knocked out by it and uh, very competitive. I, I, I tell folks, you know, to me, you, you can go drive a Q5, you can go drive a GLK, uh, go drive an EX from Infinity, uh, go drive an XC60, and and we're going to be very proud to look anybody in the eye and say we can compete with the best of them with that product, a, pre, a home run product, actually, no doubt about it. You guys have a respected brand, and it's got sort of its own cool niche, but how do you make it more cool or more hip? I mean, yeah. it sort of has this, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, don't get pissed at me, this mommy, you know, fem- feminine image. <laughs> you can smack them. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned it earlier, actually. I mean, the C-range for us is never going to pay the bills, right? It isn't going to be the revenue base for your, for your brand, but it can help your image a lot. So we have two automobiles, and specifically the C30, which is, is acknowledged as a really cool-looking small little car. And I'll give you a one-person sample. My daughter's driving a C30, and she's the hit of her high school. And she's, Dad's in the car business, so she gets a car. Um, so I, I think we have to produce interesting design, honestly. So if you, if you produce a cool-looking C30, you produce a cool-looking C70, you produce even a cool-looking XC60 by comparison even to the other cars in the range, and you, and you market it properly, right, in terms of style, design, et cetera, the quality of the shots, and you do that for a period of time, then you, then, you, then you build an image of not only safe, durable, reliable, a brand you can trust and be confident in, but also a brand that builds cool products. Um, but, it, but it starts with you've got to have cool products, right? Uh, and, so, and, that's, and that's a stated objective of our brand. We're going to add the subject of design to what we're known for. And, of course, you've got Peter Horbury back designing yes. for Volvo. Yeah, he, absolutely. He's the guy who set the company off on the current path that it's been on from a design standpoint. Yeah, and we're, we're really, really happy to have Peter back. I mean, 
give credit to his predecessors who were the people that designed, frankly, the C-30 and XC-60, did nice work for us. Uh, but Peter's well known by our Volvo organization, well known by our Volvo retail network around the world, respected by everyone for his instincts and, and frankly, his interpersonal skills. He's a great guy. Uh, understands the Volvo brand. Uh, as you said, set the current design language down when he was with us before. Uh, and we're excited because, you know, he's in, in our, maybe predictably, in our opinion, one of the best in the business. So gives us confidence, uh, gives our dealers confidence because if you get a great designer, the rest of this stuff's a lot easier in the, in the car business, frankly. So How about from changing uh, gears a little bit here? Let's go to your retail outlet or uh, yes. network in the United States. You, you like where it's at? You want to add stores? There's a bunch of Saturn stores open right now. <laughs> you know, they're, Good uh, first of all, I mean, it, it's uh, it's uh, I feel it's tough for the Saturn dealers. Right? It's, can it not can, cannot be an easy place to be. So um, we're we're pleased where we're at. We have 325 outlets. That's uh, we we aren't looking to add more. Uh, frankly, opportunistically, we'd probably take a few out. Uh, if the chance presented itself. But it's not a bad spot, frankly. So we're okay there. We wouldn't make a lot of change. Well, what about marketing? I mean, one of the problems with brands like yours, you know, given the size and money you have, is it's tough to make enough noise out there in the market yeah. to draw people in. Or, or, you know, and, and obviously things are up in the air. The new owners can decide what you spend. But do you need a lot more than, than you guys spend now in as order I, to... As I tell my boss every day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no marketing budget's ever big enough, is it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the reality is that we're a niche player in the totality of the whole of the industry. I mean, we're getting about 0.06 share, right? In, in a good year, we get 1% share. Uh, what, what we have been doing and will continue to strategically do is we have been shifting resources away from mass marketing. Uh, so you are unlikely to see us in national television uh, in the future as much as you have in the past. And where those resources are being shifted to is more a targeted type of an approach to digital uh, social networking. Uh, and we think that not only is that the right thing to do given the size of our brand, but it's also the right thing to do given the kind of brand that Volvo is. Um, so could I use more marketing dollars? Absolutely. Uh, would I place that behind TV, uh, incremental TV buys? No. Uh, we'd place it more behind becoming closer to the consumer through the avenues that exist today to allow you to do that. Um, and, and I think that's the future for, for brands like us, size and dynamics of the brand. Um, you sort of touched on this with the, you're talking about the cool brand and that kind of thing. The youth market, we've got a huge, uh, massive kids coming up. How do you reach that market? You have a daughter in that group. What that, do that's they the want? That's the key is I'm going to have my Volvo? daughter drive around America in her <laughs> C30 and we're going to sell a lot of them. <laughs> is it something you spend any time thinking about? Yes. Actually, I had a discussion today at lunch on that subject. Um, I, I, again, I think it first does start with you've got to have products that, it, that they can find appealing. Mm -hmm. Because frankly, if, you, if your products aren't going to appeal to them, then you're just wasting a bunch of money. Uh, we, we believe a product like C30 gives us that venue. Uh, and then we go in and we, we tactically approach this. So. As an example, our team on the West Coast has done a lot of stuff uh, going direct to local uh, events, beach volleyball, et cetera, and just bringing a C30 and a C70 there. Uh, the kids at beach volleyball? Yeah, yeah. it's ah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I don't go there. We'll go too deep into that. But, uh, it's, 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 and so we get not only the, the kids who are, are, frankly, maybe for the first time interested because they see a Volvo that they like that didn't even know that we built, 
But a lot of parents are also involved in those things, and they're looking for something to do for four hours while the kids' activities are going on. So they get engaged as well. So I think it's more about consciously bringing the cars to where they are because they don't watch TV. And if right. they do, they've recorded it, and they're scrolling through the television commercials. Uh, so if you're not in the digital world, in social media, in, in interacting with them where they're in, involved in activities, you can't make an impression. And, and, and that's where we will invest energy. Because uh, we do believe we've got to be more appealing to young people. As, that, we're going to have brand to strategy. wrap it up. We're out of time here. But ah. Doug Speck from Volvo North America, great having you here on the show. Very Thank interesting very talking about Volvo. And Michelle Krebs from Edmonds and David Welch from Business Week, great having you here too. And I will be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Say, we have a lot more of our conversation with Doug Speck of Volvo North America on our website that you can watch right now at AutolineDetroit.tv. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you right here next week.